Hello and welcome to Ask the Experts, a podcast from Pennington Choices, providing property surveying, consultancy and project management services to organisations nationwide. Hello everybody, uh, my name is Siobhan McCoy, I'm the Head of Consultancy with Pennington Choices. Um, I lead a team of consultants um, who delivers a range of services to the clients, mainly in the social housing sector. Um, and we're here today with some colleagues of mine to talk about all things fire safety. Um, first of all, I'm going to invite the rest of the panel to introduce themselves um, and then we'll tell you a little bit about we, what we as an organisation do um, and we'll get into the discussion um, for, for today's session. So can I invite, um, invite my panel members to introduce themselves? Yep, I'll go first. Um, Siobhan, my name is Lee Woods. I'm the Operations Director for Peddington Choices, so I'm responsible for all of our um, operational delivery to social housing clients nationally um, in respect of technical and building surveying. Um, and I've had 27 years in the social housing sector as a group director uh, of property services um, and uh, looking forward to this discussion around fire safety. Thanks very much, Lee. Michael? I'll go next. Thanks, Siobhan. Um, I'm Mike Kelly. I am the operations manager for fire safety at Pennington, um, joined the company um, back in 2021. Prior to that, I was head of um, passive fire protection for a construction company. And prior to that, I was involved with facility management um, across a range of public um, uh, and, and uh, public and educational buildings, sports centres, etc. So I've had a, a long career of um, being involved with fire safety at one point or another, and now I'm starting to specialise um, more specifically around passive fire protection and fire risk assessments. Um, and looking forward again, like Lee said, to this this conversation today. Lovely, thanks, Mike um, and Jim. Hello, thanks, uh, Siobhan. My name's uh, Jim Hutton. Um, I'm the fire safety manager at Pennington Choices. Basically, my role is to do things, all things technical um, with regard to our fire risk assessments, fire strategies we produce for clients. And try and give our clients uh, some advice around how they can sort of meet their compliance requirements uh, um, with regard to fire safety. Um, been in and around fire for probably 32 years. Um, most of my time has been in the fire and rescue services, um, various fire and rescue services up and down the country. Um, and then uh, retired from the fire service and I'm to pastures new. And uh, I've been working at Pennington since uh, 2021. So Lots of things happening in the fire safety world, so I'm looking forward to the discussions. Lovely, thanks very much. Um, and I suppose, you know, it's, it's a bit of a timely reminder, really. We're recording this um, um, podcast this afternoon, the day after yet another high-profile fire um, in a high-rise block in London um, yesterday afternoon. Um, it's fairly significant, and I'm sure my fellow panel members will have seen that in the news yesterday afternoon and evening. Um, it was a block, um, a high-rise block in London um, that um, went on fire, caught on fire yesterday afternoon, fairly significant fire. Um, 125 firefighters attended um, and a registered provider, a social landlord, 
actually confirmed as being a leaseholder and responsible for 75 flats within the building. Um, so fairly significant event um, yesterday afternoon. Um, we understand that around about 60 people were being evacuated from the block. Um, and in this case, it's been really fortunate that um, it's believed that there were no injuries. Everybody got out safely. Um, so I suppose it's just it's an, another stark reminder that the spectre of fire safety is never far away from us and it impacts um, on a daily basis. Here at Pennington Choices, um, we deliver a wide range of services to, um, to property owners um, around the country um, who come from a range of different backgrounds. But we, we work a lot with the social housing sector, um, so registered social landlords. Um, and we assist them a lot, um, certainly within my team, um, around achieving property compliance. So making sure that properties are kept safe um, so that organisations are safe, but also more fundamentally, the people who live in those buildings are kept safe. Um, and fire safety and building safety are big hot topics for us as an organisation at the moment. Um, the work that Lee, uh, Mike and Jim have just outlined there that they deliver um, really then takes um, the whole principle of compliance and keeping buildings safe um, much further um, and, and much more focused around the area of fire safety. So I suppose, first of all, it'd just be useful um, just to understand a little bit about um, and invite the panel to just outline what they think the key things are that organisations need to do to comply with their current fire safety obligations. Um, so I'd just like to invite, uh, invite you to, to tell us what you think the key issues are. Okay, I'm happy to go first again, um, Siobhan, in terms of key fire safety legislation. I suppose where I'd start with this is um, what does the law require of building owners and landlords? Um, and I have to say, the fire safety reform order, which has been in place since 2005, as is written at the moment, um, has the bar set fairly low. Um, and that's always my concern about fire safety legislation and where it is uh, today. Uh, now, clearly, the new Fire Safety Act and the Building Safety Bill that are you know, coming down the track will look to significantly strengthen um, uh, fire safety obligations on landlords and building owners. But as we sit here today, the bar is actually very, very low when it comes to delivering um, your legal requirements under the uh, fire safety legislation. So just in, in, in its most simplistic format, what we're talking about here is building owners um, of uh, buildings with communal facilities. Um, you know, the minimum requirement required of those landlords is to carry out a periodic fire risk assessment, a visual inspection of the communal parts of those buildings. And effectively, the law, the law doesn't go much further than that. Um, now, what you can actually do to provide additional safety to your resident, tenants and residents is much further, uh, you know, takes you much further than what I've just described. So I suppose in terms of setting the scene, the bar currently is very low but the impending Fire Safety Act and Building Safety Bill, which you know, is looking to come into play in 2023, will significantly enhance uh, safety for residents because it will put more, much more significant obligations on landlords and building owners to um, demonstrate that they are, managing, uh, they are managing the safety of their residents and their buildings in a much more rigorous way. Um, and in order to comply with the fire safety order at the moment, if you look at what landlords have to do at the moment, they must have a suitable and sufficient fire risk assessment in place for each of their buildings. Um, but as I said earlier, 
the minimum requirement is to do a type one visual inspection of your communal areas. So I'm, I'm sort of happy to pass over to Jim or Mike to sort of talk about how you could expand what you do and extend what you do in order to um, help um, ensure that your residents are safe. But that's the minimum requirement as I see it and as I describe it to our clients. Um, but there's a whole lot more you can do around fire safety and there's a whole lot more that's about to come down the track in terms of the new legislation. So happy to hand over to uh, either of my colleagues if they want to pick it up there. Lee, do you mind if I just jump in? Because I think that's a really, really important um, point you've made. In terms of um, statutory reg regulation and legislation, that sets the minimum bar. That is minimum requirements. Now, my um, sort, of, sort of goal, I suppose, or aim in, in the work we do is to ensure people are going way beyond those minimum requirements. And uh, as an example, uh, as a base SP205 third-party accredited company, we enable people to go much further beyond what needs to be um, shown by the law regards the requirements of land landlords and building owners, and uh, particularly around fire risk assessments. So it's just just something to put out there because ultimately there is so much more beyond minimum requirement. Yeah. And one thing that we often get asked, and Jim, you might want to expand on this, um, is one area um, which often causes confusion, which is about the responsible person who's responsible for doing this? And it isn't often one single person. Jim, do you want to just kind of expand on that? Because it's something yes. I know we get asked yeah. quite a lot. Yeah, certainly. So kind of just recapping on what um, Lee and Mike said, obviously the uh, fire safety audit uh, came into effect in the 1st of October, 2006. So it's um, nothing new, um, but still people get very much confused around whose roles and responsibilities. So where who's responsible comes in from um, the fire safety order is under article three. Um, so article three basically says, if it's a workplace, it, it's always gonna be the employer. If it's not a workplace in pretty much um, our settings in the social sort of housing setting, it's probably gonna be the landlord who's responsible for undertaking a risk assessment. But one of the big things that a lot of our clients don't seem to recognize is that if they provide um, effectively the bricks and mortar and the physical infrastructure of a building and they have a care provider, say for example, in a sheltered housing scheme that provides um, sort of the support and the employees in, in the building, they have a duty to sort of under Article 5, which basically means who has control of the premises on a daily basis and who has responsibility. They have a, a responsibility um, to cooperate and coordinate under Article 22. And that's a lot of the things that people miss. Um, actually, it needs to be a two-way exchange of information. If there's some risks associated with a building, obviously you need to tell the organisation that's providing the care. If there's some of the care providers have any issues, they need to work, speak to effectively the landlords. It's about making sure that we look at the risk in a holistic approach and making sure everybody in the building is trying to do any specific roles they've got, but ultimately to make people in the building safe, whether they're employees or residents. And that's ultimately what the fire safety order is about, really, is about making it um, a safer people in the, in the building. I know we're going to come on to the fire safety act in, in a bit, um, Siobhan, but, you yeah. know, ultimately, 
it's the fire safety order is like any other health and safety legislation. It's about trying to reduce your risk to be as low as reasonably practicable. And I think that's really important that we need to look at is about proportionality um, on our response. And actually, if you've got an older building, there may be some things that wouldn't be up to code, but it doesn't mean your building's not safe, you know. Mm -hmm. And sometimes what we need to do is help our clients understand pretty much the minefield of legislation, really, and actually, you know, give them a path to make sure that they feel one, that they're meeting their residence requirement and actually the building's safe, and there's a lot to, to do with that. And Oops. I think, sorry, the only thing I was to say, Siobhan, the one big thing that I think in all sectors that we need to do is that resident engagement cannot be um, underestimated. And it's okay um, us saying the building's safe or, or yeah. the client saying the building's safe, but if people don't feel safe in that building, Perceptions sometimes are stronger than reality. So we just need to, you know, support our clients to understand how they need to engage with their tenants as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, sorry to interrupt, Jen, and I think some of the narrative around, um, you know, the importance of building safety and fire safety generally has started to shift over the last few years. Obviously, post-Grenfell, there was an awful lot of shock at what had happened. Um, you know, the, um, people took re how residents felt very safely. I think it feels as though we've stepped away from that a bit over the last few years with all the, um, you know, trying to resolve the the, um, the Cladden crisis and so on. And residents have been lost in some of that narrative over the last few years, but it feels to me like it's starting to come back now um, and residents being front and centre. Um, Lee, I know you do an awful lot of work with the regulator of social housing. They kind of bring another angle to all of this as well, um, particularly for a lot of um, our clients as well, the social housing sector. Do you want to just talk a little bit about the regulation side of things um, in terms of what those landlords are required to do? Yeah, certainly. I mean, in, in terms of regulation, the regulator has obviously been playing, uh, has been taking a very keen um, interest, specifically in fire safety since Grenfell. That doesn't mean to say they weren't taking an interest before then, but the scrutiny has, uh, you know, has, has, has enhanced significantly since that 2017 incident. And, you know, what the regulator requires of landlords is that they are able to demonstrate compliance with the fire safety reform order and how do you go about doing that and how do you demonstrate that you are keeping your residents safe so the kind of things the regulator would look for when they are looking at how landlords perform in this particular area is are you able to demonstrate that you have a valid and in-date risk assessment for all of the sites that you should have a valid and in-date risk assessment for um, are you able to demonstrate that the significant findings that come out of those fire risk assessments are being um, programmed, processed and um, implemented? So if there are remedial works that need to take place, if there are housing management actions that need to uh, take place, if there are improvements to the building or additional surveys to the building, then do you as a landlord have a way of aggregating that up and then tracking that and demonstrating that you're able to do that and the way landlords are expected to demonstrate that from a regulatory point of view is that the operational teams who are responsible for managing the nuts and bolts of both the risk assessment program and any remedial works that are subsequently required um, should be reporting their performance in respect of those two areas uh, through their governance structure so in other words 
up to the leadership team and into the board so that the board and the leadership team, if necessary, can see whether or not there are any areas of non-compliance. They can understand the scale and scope of any non-compliance and indeed how many residents may be affected by that non-compliance. And most importantly, so they can either sign off the proposed action to um, eradicate that non-compliance or they can escalate um, action um, so that that non-compliance is addressed. So it's really, really important that operational teams have good processes for managing risk assessments and fire safety actions, but just as importantly, that the reporting up to the executive team and board is clear and transparent, and it gives a full and comprehensive picture of all of the stock. What we tend to find in our work is that some of those key components are simply not in place and the board simply don't know or the leadership team simply don't know whether or not risk assessments are in date or out of date and or they simply don't know whether remedial actions that should have taken place have in fact taken place and there's evidence to demonstrate that so this is all about the ability to manage the process well and then demonstrate the output from the process both at an operational level and through to the board and if regulators do intervene in these areas, that's the kind of thing they're looking for. What control is there from the board through to operations and what line of sight have they got to see that the fire safety requirements of the organisation are being fulfilled and complied with um, so that they as the board and the leaders can then equally share that with residents to say, this is our way of demonstrating to you, our residents, that we are keeping these buildings safe and we're taking the necessary action on the back of risk assessments to make sure that we keep these buildings safe. And if the regulator sees that, they'll be very, very happy and satisfied that the landlord has got control. Um, unfortunately, we see a lot of examples in the sector where landlords are not in that position and often the regulator will intervene um, if those situations come to their attention. And, you know, the sanctions and the, you know, the sanctions on an organisation can be quite, um, you know, they can, they, they can be quite profound and have quite an impact on an organisation. Um, and equally, if a landlord um, isn't able to demonstrate those things and can identify that that's the case, but can put a plan of action together to put it right, equally, they're required to talk to the regulator about that and tell the regulator that we've got an issue at the moment, we've got a problem at the moment, but we've got a plan and we know how to put it right. So, you know, the regulator is there to both scrutinise and um, to sanction if necessary, but they're also there um, as a sounding board and, you know, they will help you, um, you know, they'll guide you through what's required if you're struggling um, and certainly we're, we're the kind of organisation that can help with that as well. So I hope that sort of answers the regulatory question, um, Siobhan. Absolutely. Great answer, Lee. Thank you. Um, so I suppose, Mike, Jim, what are the sorts of things that um, when you're dealing with clients um, and trying to help them through and unpick what they need to do, um, you know, in depth um, from a fire safety perspective, what are some of the common issues that organisations come to us with where they need help? Jim, can I jump in on this one just just Absolutely. to kind of um, so 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 my role as operations manager is to look at um, an organization's request for assistance, support, help, guidance around fire safety. So the first thing I always do is kind of just take a step back 
and make sure that we are at the right starting point. And what I mean is a lot of organizations believe they should be starting at X or Y, be it they should start undertaking a detailed survey, they should start doing another activity. But actually, what I often um, see is that we need to take a couple of steps back because often some of the really crucial foundation um, blocks are not there. So we always kind of um, use this term at Pennington. Let, let's go back to basics, back to first principles. Let's see where we're starting from. And I think that's the key thing. As, as, as Lee said, um, fire safety often relates to the sort of strategic and tactical, but ultimately the operational delivery of an organization. But do, do all those operatives really understand the buildings? Is all the information there? Do they have a strategy in place? Do they have to scale drawings? Do they understand their M&E services that are running through the building? And just, just because of um, having, having been a facility manager for a long time, my goal is to understand how, how that building or, or that piece of infrastructure should work. And I think that that's one of the key things I'm seeing at the moment. A lot of the information we need to be able to provide an informed and kind of justified proposal for a piece of work isn't actually there. So I would say let's start by helping the organisation understand what they've got and, as importantly, what they haven't got, and then we'll move from that basis forwards because there's no point starting too many steps down the line if some of those cre uh, critical building blocks are not in place. So it sounds like it's almost helping them to know what they don't know um, at the start of the process. Absolutely. And, and that's part of um, the sort of gap analysis. We, we, we undertake um, uh, sort so, so unconsciously, we undertake this gap analysis um, to, to understand what's in place and what's missing. Um, and again, um, Jim will probably be able to explain um, more thoroughly that um, quite often when, I don't know, as an example, organisations come to us and say, right, we need a type four fire risk assessment or we need an intrusive compartmentation survey. Often they don't because some of the stuff that, that they need to put in place before they get to that, that point it is not there. And that, that's what we need to understand. So it's about, it's about doing that deep dive, isn't it? It's about understanding the broader context of the building um, mm -hmm. and, and therefore the, the associated risks and also yeah. the, the organisation's perspective, perspective on its building, on the building's risk profile, yeah. et cetera. Yeah, Mike, just before Jim comes in, I think the, this, this issue of understanding your buildings in terms of what you've got in those buildings what information do you hold? And just as importantly, what information don't you hold? You know, I think we're starting to see an increase in inquiries in this area, leading up to obviously the implementation of the building safety bill. So if landlords are out there at the moment and they um, don't understand what, you know, what is in their buildings and what they know and what they don't know, this piece of work that Mike is describing as a sort of first stage of a process is really quite critical um, and will be quite critical for landlords who have buildings that will fall under the building safety bill um, legislation. So it's this kind of approach we're talking about. You go back to basics, you start, and it will start to help build um, you know, your knowledge about that site. Um, but don't wait too long to do this, landlords, because you know the building safety bill is, is around the corner. It's less than 12 months away. Uh, near enough and uh, you know you need to be doing this work now 
in order to ensure that by the time you get to the building safety bill next April, that you've done the work that's required to understand your buildings and that you have a plan of action as to how you are going to improve the safety of those buildings for your residents. So, you know, if in doubt, uh, feel free to talk to us and we'd be happy to sort of guide you through those um, those principles. But that, that first staging post is really, really important. And we're seeing more and more landlords um, uh, seeing the benefit of taking that approach first before you get into risk assessment, before you get into compartmentation survey, before you get into remediation. It's going back to that first point that Mike has just um, referred to. Thanks. Yeah. Jim, um, obviously you've got you've come from a fire safe, fire service background. What's your yeah. take on on this? Dan, not trying to sound like a stuck record like Liam um, and Mike is, is kind of pretty <laughs> much um, go back to your basics, understand what you, your building has, and what systems you got in place, what policies and procedures, any gaps you got in that, because it, it's all one thing. It's just. Fire safety is just like any other health and safety legislation. You need to kind of have that kind of golden thread, if you want to call it that. And, you know, I know we talk a lot about the golden thread in fire safety, but it's that back to basics and that data. Because what happens in a, in a fire risk assessment, a fire risk assessor will pick up, say, for example, uh, they could identify um, a particular uh, specification of a fire door, you know, and they'll go back to the client and say to the client, well, management needs to confirm um, the rating of the fire door, if, if possible, or whatever it might be. Um, and then we end up in this vicious sort of circle where if, like Lee and Mike said, if we kind of do that work up front and you know what you've got, it makes your risk assessment a lot easier because otherwise we just go in this continual cycle. I think, like most things uh, from an enforcement side, of, it has to be that you've kind of uh, be able to demonstrate you've, uh, discharge all your function under the fire safety order but but that means understanding what you've got in your building and looking at it holistically and it's kind of sometimes I'm still surprised that um, when we get uh, inquiries from people who actually still don't know that's on what's in their building who's in their building what what type of construction what systems are in the building you know that kind of still uh amazes me even now like you're saying if you think about it from what well, october um 2006 when the fire safety order first come out um people still don't understand that um and what i, I think the league will probably agree one of the big things that people look for uh, from a, a governance perspective if your fire safety policy says you will do x and you don't do it well automatically you're leaving yourself exposed aren't you and how can you not just more about from a governance purpose but how can you reassure your residents that you're taking fire safety seriously if you're not complying with your own policy? So it's kind of, there's not one thing, um, I say silver bullet for fire mm -hmm. safety. It's a whole sort of process, you know, back to uh, long and forgotten HSG 65. It's back to that old kind of tried and tested risk mythology, isn't it really? Yeah, yeah. So I suppose if, if there's anyone listening to this who's starting to feel a little bit uncomfortable about where they're at at the moment, um, you know, they might have been doing type one fire risk assessments because they know that that's what they needed to do in order to comply with the, um, the, the fire safety order. What would your advice be for them? Where should they start if they think that they may have a problem? What sort of things should they focus on? Um, I'm, I'm happy to pick this one up, Siobhan. I think, I think you know, if, if, if you know, I, I 
intimated earlier what landlords need to have in place. So, you know, fire risk assessments on all of your, on all of your sites and a process for managing and evidence in the, um, the completion of remedial actions. So th th that would be my starting point. Have you, do those things exist and can you, uh, are they transparent and can you see them? Um, often they're not in organisations and also often you will have operational staff who are struggling with what Jim has just been describing, which is what is our policy approach in this organisation? Uh, what's our approach going to be to evacuation? What's our approach going to be to peeps? What's our approach going to be to scooters? Whatever it might be. Um, um, again, what we will, what we encourage landlords or building owners to do is really engage their leadership team and their governance structure in the decision-making process around the policy to be adopted, because there are choices to be made here, um, and it will be a sort of risk and cost. Uh, choice that organisations have to make um, and so if you're an operational fire safety manager in a housing association at the moment worrying about well I don't really know what to do about this I would be encouraging you to speak to your you know your your uh, directors and your um, exec team and um, engaging them in a conversation around what policy principles fire safety policy principles are we going to adopt to our housing stock um, and the, the, you know, there are some fairly critical decisions to be made there. And is it fair to let an operational fire safety manager make all of those decisions in isolation, or should in fact the leaders of the organisation engage in that process? And the answer that we would give is the leaders should always engage in that process, work through those choices, and formulate a set of policy principles that they know that their organisation is going to be happy with can comply with and that will ultimately lead to their tenants and residents being safe. Um, there's very few organisations that Siobhan and I and indeed any of our colleagues in Pennington's have been in who start from that premise and so we've encouraged lots of execs and lots of landlords over the last three, four, five years to engage in a conversation about fire safety policy for their organisation. So that would be the starting point for me if You've got fire safety staff who were worried about how their organisation might be performing in this area because um, that will then set the tone, tenor and direction for what you then need to do operationally. And the leaders will have set that and be supporting you operationally in terms of what you're trying to deliver. So that would be my advice, Siobhan, on this. Yeah, lovely. And I suppose it comes back to one of the challenges that we sometimes get is, well, boards are very busy, exec teams are very busy. Um, and where does the balance lie between um, being involved in what some people might perceive as operational decisions, but actually keeping the organisation safe as well? And I suppose that's some of what we sort of give advice on sometimes. Yeah. Actually, it's not an operational decision to set policy. It's a very much a strategic choice because you're yeah, making I'm, sure that you meet your legal obligations. Yeah. If I'm going to be controversial, Subordin, the answer to that for me is fairly, you know, they might be very busy doing other things, but I'll tell you what, they'll be very busy if they have a fire and they have fatality. So, <laughs> I was just going to say uh, they'll be a hell of a lot busier, won't they? Yeah, um, they will be. So uh, that, that, that's the answer. And, you know, if, they, if, if any chief exec out there or any... Um, board member out there has ever read the Grenfell diaries in, in you know on inside housing and things like that then that should be enough to convince them that this is a, a valid piece of work that they should be overseeing um, and helping the organization and set the tone and tenor for so uh, yeah I do get I do get the argument that execs and boards are busy 
um, but they'd be far more busy if they were having to deal with, you know, the kind of things that have happened sort of post Grenfell. Yeah, absolutely. Can I uh, just, yes. just come in? Uh, what, on, the, one, the one thing I was going to say, Siobhan, what I think is, it, it was very uh, illuminating um, an event that myself and you attended last week, you know, which were some uh, Lord Greenouch uh, and various other people um, who have responsibility for fire safety and building safety. And I think one of my big takeaways for sort of exec boards are that people who say actually um, building safety is our priority. Um, I think somebody said that actually priorities change. Building safety should be an underlying principle. And I think that just that just sums it up for me, you know, because we're all very busy, aren't we? Everybody's very busy in the workplace, but it should be your principle is to make sure that not just your residents, your employees are safe in any building as well. That should be fundamental. And that ultimately is what the fire safety order is really about. Yeah. And I suppose if you look at what's coming down the line, so we've got the building safety bill that's now in Parliament working its way through. Um, we've also got some big changes, the Fire Safety Act, we're waiting for it to be implemented. Um, we've also got um, the social housing bill that's due to be introduced to Parliament over the next few months as well, which will start to, um, you know, create some of the legislation that's necessary to strengthen the regulator of social housing's powers as well. And I suppose for me, it's all about taking those broad health and safety principles around organisations need to keep people who may be affected by their business safe from, from unnecessary risks, you know, general health and safety at work act principle. And it drills it down much more into building safety, fire safety, but also how you govern and manage your organisation as well. What are some of the key changes that are coming down the line with um, with the Fire Safety Act? Because um, we talk about that, you know, it's, it's it's a piece of legislation that is going to mean some changes for organisations. What are some of the practical changes that are going to be needed um, for organisations when that gets implemented? Do you want me to do that? Uh, yeah, yeah, go for it, Jim. So well, one of the things I was just going to say about the Fire Safety Act 2021, um, it's all it really is, is a clarification of the fire safety order and what i mean by that is what's in scope under article 6 of the um, fire safety order that's what the fire safety act really clarifies and it's basically for those flat front doors and external walls they're all part of the common area so that's what you need to consider there are some other things that talks about that for example uh, under article 50 um which is you should use risk a certain risk guidance that links into uh, a document that's just recently published, which is the PAS 9980 for doing fire uh, risk assessments on external wall systems. Um, so these are all linked. So the Fire Safety Act is kind of just a clarification, really, to a, a certain extent. So for me, as a, a previously from an in fire safety enforcement background, the opinion of our organisation was that um, the flat front doors were part of the common area. But other people, people had different um, mm -hmm. perspectives. This is just um, clarifying it, really, and actually yeah. making it explicitly clear that they are. And yeah. I think one of the issues that I think um, Lord Greenouch and uh, Dame Judith Hackett um, alluded to on, recently on the, the conference we attended, Siobhan, was that people are still trying to game the system. They know it's coming down the tubes because it's not been... Um, it's gone through Royal Assent, but it's not been enacted. It doesn't mean it's not going to happen, you know. So yeah. 
get yourself ready and, and can't keep burying your head head in the sand and say it's not going to happen and that's yeah. where we can I think we can assist clients as well to actually say look let's just unravel this for you what does it really mean to you but it goes back to what Lee and Mike have been saying and you too that discovery session and understanding what your buildings are, are about is really really important because if you don't know what's on your building the risk assessor is probably not going to know what's in your building so you're just going to end up in this you know continual sort of loop really and that's what i'm saying so that's was it from the the fire safety act from the kind of the building um safety bill um obviously at the moment it's going to be a new regulator which is uh going to be the HSE, which doesn't come into force till next year. But high-risk residential buildings, uh, effectively for the social landlords, are going to be uh, anything that's more seven storeys or more than 18 metres. And if you hit one of them thresholds, you're in scope of the, uh, the building safety regulator and the building safety bill, really. And, that, and that's, it's, it's a, they try to make it as simple as possible, really. So, so as a first, sorry, Mike, so as a first principle, um, Siobhan and Jim, um, you know, if, if I'm if I'm landlord A or B, um, I should know by now which of my buildings are seven stories or above or 18 metres and above and therefore in scope. And I should be preparing and planning and getting those buildings ready um, to be able to comply with that act in April 2023. Is that in its most simplistic format? Is that what we're talking about? Absolutely. Yeah. That's Absolutely. The most well, sorry, Mike. Yeah. I'm just um, gonna say, sorry, I'm just going to say that that is that is it, Lee. And I think it's that's it's it's not any real complicated formula. That if you hit um, seven stories, you're in. If you hit eighteen meters, you're in. There are some people, and this is what um, some of the government and you know um, Dame Judith Hackett was saying about gaming the system. Well, actually, if you look at it from this side of the building, it's seventeen point nine nine. Well, actually, really, it is 18, you know, metres. So that's something that the building safety regulator will look at as well. Um, and it, and it's going to change, you know, over a period of time. Once it's embedded, uh, it, it will it will change. But that's the base principles, um, yeah. Lee. Yeah. yeah. So, just, Siobhan, one thing yeah. on that. So um, another thing um, to be aware is that obviously the Fire Safety Act clarifies and makes clear some of the previously um, contested parts of the reform order, I suppose, obviously regards external walls and doors, etc. Um, but it's running in parallel as such with the building um, safety bill and the two overlap. They aren't standalone pieces of legislation whereby you do one and or you do the other. They overlap. So it's really important to look at both pieces of legislation and the changes that they will bring and look at them as part of that holistic overview of the building. And yeah. like Lee said, get on it now. <laughs> Don't mm -hmm. wait. Do not leave it too long. Because ultimately, the, let, let's the, there'll be organisations out there that, that know very, very little about that, about their buildings. That, that, that's, the, that's the reality um, uh, that, that, that we face. However... It will be difficult at first to collate this information, um, understand what the act and the bill means and work with professionals like ourselves to, to get to a better place. It will take a while, but once you kind of um, get into that routine of better building management from every perspective, perspective, be it a maintenance perspective, a gas perspective, a fire perspective, an end user perspective, it will become a lot easier to do the same across the rest of your portfolio. 
So it's really important. Get on it now. Engage with the right people. And don't look at either the act or the bill in isolation. They overlap. Um, So that's one thing. Secondly, one thing that that obviously people are starting to talk about now, we've mentioned it earlier, is the golden thread. The golden thread of information, and particularly that being stored in a single point of truth, ideally a digital system. But for me, Lee made a really good point about that connection between the strategic levels of an organization and what happens on a day-to-day operational level. That's a golden thread as well. That is a golden thread. So you've got line of sight from what the organization sets as a strategy, how that relates to policy and procedure, then how that guides people to do the best work they can on a day-to-day basis. So that golden thread for me isn't just about storing a document on a, on a um, digital storage area in the cloud. It's also about that golden thread throughout the organization, right through to your, your, your residents and how you engage your res- residents based on the strategy of the organization. And yeah. just 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 one, one last point, Siobhan, sorry. It's a really, really important point. Any organization should really only be engaging with competent people to undertake in particular specialist life safety, fire safety, and other health and safety and compliance works. Make sure the people you're engaging are the right people with the right competence, not just qualifications, but mindset, experience, case studies, et cetera, to help you along that journey. Don't just think that a big, long strand of letters after somebody's name actually makes them the right person for that job for you in the context of your organization. So really do your due diligence. And in particular, look for organizations that are third party accredited, because that's the most objective sort of um, scrutiny we can offer at the moment across the fire safety industry regards third party contractors undertaking work for for clients and organizations. Yeah, I think a really valid point there, Mike. Thanks for that. One of the things I was just going to say is obviously uh, picking up on your golden thread points and back to the building safety bill. You know, one of the one of the key things that landlords are going to have to do, building owners are going to have to do from next, um, likely next April is what's being spoken about, is start to register their buildings with the building safety regulator if they fall within scope of um, of the building safety bill. And at that stage, they're going to have to start to think about how they can evidence to the regulator that buildings are safe. And that's not something that they're going to be able to pull together very quickly, um, because the the whole approach to developing a safety case and a safety case report, which will require you to be that that's the way in which um, building owners are going to have to be able to demonstrate that their building is safe, needs them to think in that holistic way um, to be able to demonstrate that they understand, well, what are the key safety risks um, and the key things that can cause problems within that building? Have they been assessed? Can I evidence that I understand what they are? Um, and then that I can evidence to, to, that how I've taken all the reasonable steps that I can to address those risks so that it prevents risks um, and where risks still exist that they've been mitigated um, and that they're then being managed in the, um, effectively. And that's something that's going to, that's not just a document that you'll produce once and leave on a shelf. That's got to be a living, breathing document with all of the information and the data to, to de- demonstrate, demonstrate and evidence how you're keeping that building and safe having to be pulled together so again it just goes back to you know the importance of holding information um, and being able to evidence that um, absolutely but but for me and I'll I'll be brutally honest it's shocking that in 2020 we're having to guide people to do that Mm. if you if you manage run or or coordinate activities in a building and uh, whether you're a facility manager um, a fire safety officer and what have you 
you should have that information anyway. It's your duty as a professional to make sure you understand what you're working with and how it needs to work. And it's not just from a um, life safety point of view, albeit that is the number one priority. It's about maintaining your assets. It's about making sure you're getting value for money with the budgets you've got. It's about making sure that your properties are fit for purpose now and going forward. We should be all over this. <laughs> um, it's, it's, really, it's, it's a crying shame, really, that, that we're in this situation. Um, but again, there's a lot of really good professionals out there who are doing a great, a great job. And we're working with um, a, a number of clients now who are trying to get ahead of that curve in terms of developing um, all the information they need for their building safety case, et cetera, and understanding the heights of the buildings, what the ME systems are, et cetera. Um, but as they say, ignorance is no defense. So Absolutely. Yeah. You, uh, anyone out there who thinks, oh, well, I'll do it when, when I need to, it, it, that, that's not good enough. Ignorance is not a defense. However, with, with our collective sort of experience across, across the organization, we can help people get to this place. And that's why Lee before mentioned how important that going back to um, first principles is in terms of understanding your buildings, what information you have and haven't got, and then moving forward based on that, that understanding um, because like Jim said, it's all about proportionality. We know people are not going to solve this overnight, but let's work in a pragmatic way based on the risk profile of your building, what you have got and what you haven't got. And let's go on this journey together in a, in a, in a methodical, pragmatic way and help you to, to get to a place where you've got um, a much greater understanding of, of, of your portfolio. portfolio. Yeah. So I'm conscious of time. Um, and just to, to sort of sum things up and wrap things up, are there any words of advice? You, you've obviously sort of set out there what you think people need to do, Mike. Lee, what about you? What sort of words of advice would you have for anyone listening to this who may be feeling just, I think I might need to, to get some advice or I may need some help with some of, some of my buildings and how I'm going to manage those? Yeah, I mean, if any of this is resonating with individuals out there, there'll be those that are as Mike said, who are well on the journey and well on the way to doing what's necessary. And there'll be others that are at the other end of the spectrum and they haven't started and they're not thinking about it and they, or they don't know how to start and they don't know, um, you know, where to get help from. So what I would say is, particularly if you're the latter, um, you know, then if you do have concerns or want to find out more about fire safety and building safety, you know, you could contact us here at Pennington Choices, we'd be happy to help um, and we'd be happy to give you advice as to how to set off on that journey. Um, and my other advice would be, there's 13 months to go. It's probably to a lot of people still feels like a long time and it's not. Mm -hmm. uh, some people will have been working on this for the last two or three years. We've got some really good clients who are well on the way to doing what they need to do but there will be others that are not. So if you're in the not category, um, then you know, reach out for help. And even if you are well on your way, um, there's always that, um, you know, there's always that assurance you get from getting a, um, a third party opinion of how you're doing and how you're preparing and how you're planning. So even if you're well on your way with this, getting a, getting a, a different perspective and a different view on where you are is sometimes helpful even if it's just to assure you that you're on the right path. Um, but act now really is what I would say and um, seek help if you need it. Lovely. Thanks, Lee. Jim, any final words for anyone listening? Yeah. So I think one of the things that um, I would say to, to Siobhan, um, to anybody who's 
particularly those people that feel they may come under the um, the building safety bill is, you know, start from base principles. You know, we have a number of clients that we've done a kind of a total package for, if you want to say that, where we've done a fire strategy for the building. We've done a fire risk assessment. We've done compartmentation surveys for them and packaged it all up so they can identify any issues that they've got. And it makes it uh, kind of pretty neat and tight for them. Um, and they can go away and plan the, the actions accordingly. And so what I would say is the building safety bill and the building safety case, which are, people can have to produce, is just about knowing what's in your building, making sure your systems work in, in the building. But I think the other thing is, it's about changing, uh, it's a change it to a positive culture of what building safety means. Everybody's got responsibility, be that residents, be that contractors, be it staff that work in the building, you know, that's going to be a, a massive change. But, you know, what I would say to people, if you've got any sort of concerns, you know, drop us a line and, and we can help you. And we've got ex fast experience now of trying to help, um, particularly those in, in high-rise residential buildings, navigate through this kind of bit of a minefield. But I don't think it's as difficult as people make out. They just need that support and that, that clarity of fault. Yeah, and that, that's very much where we can help, isn't it? Um, and what I would say, just, you know, by way of finishing off, really, is anyone who is listening today who has some concerns, um, who may feel that they want to find out a bit more information on fire safety um, or what's coming down the line in terms of the changes with the building safety bill or anything else um, and how they can address any gaps that they think they might have or even just to, to help them to know whether they do have an issue or not. There's a wide range of resources available on our website. We've got webinars, we've got blogs, we've got guides, we've got self-assessments. So for example, we've got one on um, property compliance, we've got one on building safety, um, both of which can help to guide you through some of those important questions to ask yourself, do I, do I have a problem or do I think it's okay? Um, and, and answer the questions honestly, because that will give you a really good sense of where you are. If you do that and you feel that you still need to have, you know, you, you may have some issues that you want some help with, contact us for a discussion. We'd be absolutely happy to help um, and to see how we can um, sort of assist you to make sure that your organisation is safe. You as an individual in terms of the role you have um, are doing the right things and ultimately that your residents are kept safe. So I'd like to just thank everybody for um, the time um, listening to this session this afternoon. Um, this is the first of our series of podcasts. We will be doing more over the coming months. So stay tuned um, to hear more from us. But thanks very much for your time. Thank you for joining us today. If you would like to speak to one of our in-house experts, please get in touch either via our website or across our social media pages. Pennington Choices, our expertise, your solution.